following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. This morning we're jumping back into the book of Romans, and it's been an amazing journey. We've been going through the book of Romans, we took a little hiatus for a bit, but we're jumping back in, and we've been looking at Romans 8, and if you were to ask me, what would be your favorite chapter if you were to take one page out of the Bible that you had to bring on a desert island with you, if you had the choice of only one, what would it be? And I would say for me, I'd have to pick Romans 8. Romans 8 to me is just like the Grand Slam chapter of the Bible. It's got all kinds of great stuff in there. You might pick a different one. I love this chapter. So we've been chipping away at it and breaking it down in little sections. And Paul is about to wrap it up today. And he's about to say, since I've said all these great things in Romans, or God showed us great things, in conclusion, he's got a conclusion based on everything that he said in Romans. And it's an explosive chapter. And some of the things that he said, I'm just going to recap on what the rest of the chapter said so we can move forward on Romans. We're in Romans chapter 8. And he said a couple things like this. He said, before you were even born, God knew you. God knew you before you were even born. That's something that's baffling to some people. But I think when you realize that, you realize how good God is with a master plan that he actually did know you before you were born. This is in Romans 8. He also said that he predestined us to become like Jesus. God loves us and desires way back before we were born that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's pretty cool. That's God's master plan. That's his overall vision uh, for you. And then he goes on to say some other pretty radical things. He basically is saying this, not if you just have a little respect for God or you honor God, but if If Jesus is the Lord of your life, he qualifies this. If Jesus is actually your Lord, and I want to say that clear because a lot of people have a respect for Jesus. Yeah, I'm fine with Jesus. You know, I don't have anything against him, and hopefully he doesn't have anything against me. That's the way a lot of people look at Jesus, but not just teacher, philosopher, Messiah, but the Son of God and, in fact, the Lord. Here's the deal. When Jesus is actually the Lord, there's a whole bunch of different realities that that start to become true. And this is from the Word of God. One is this. Through Jesus, when Jesus becomes your Lord, that is when we get to become sons of God, daughters of God. This is what Romans is telling us. Sons of God, to as many that would receive him, have the right to be called children of God, sons and daughters of God. So everyone on the planet's not a child of God. People say that, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says everyone that accepts Jesus as their Lord is a son and daughter of God. That's pretty cool. And it goes on to say, now that through Jesus we get to be sons and daughters of God, it becomes very personal now. And God Almighty in heaven is not just, you know, this unknowable God who's all powerful and out there and and you're not really sure what he's thinking. He actually becomes father. The word is Abba for daddy. This is what Romans is telling us so far. And and this is important because now all of a sudden, instead of God Almighty somewhere out there who might be mad at you, have you ever thought God's mad at you? More honesty in the house of God this morning? Okay, yeah. You kind of feel like, God, are you mad at me right now? You know, the way things are going. Through Jesus, he becomes Abba, Daddy. Just the way you can go to a loving father, you can't compare him to any earthly father at all, Just the way a kid can run to a loving father and say, Daddy, through Jesus, we get to do that. This is pretty cool. This is all Romans leading up to this point right here. It gets very personal. Get to call him Daddy. Also says that the Holy Spirit of God 
If Jesus is your Lord, the Spirit of God actually lives inside of you. That's another huge game changer because a lot of people are walking through the planet with the Spirit of God not inside them and they're wondering why they're not getting the help from God or the comfort or the guidance from God. It's because they haven't asked him in. But when you say yes to Jesus, he becomes the Lord, you get the Holy Spirit in you. This is what Paul's saying, all of this radical stuff right in this Romans 8 chapter. Spirit of God inside you. He not only lives in you, but he intercedes for you. This chapter said the Spirit prays for things that you don't even remember or think about praying for. That to me is cool. Because sometimes we only see with limited capacity. We see certain things, but we miss out on other things. Spirit of God in you, praying. Radical stuff. This is all in Romans 8. And God not only protects us and provides for us, but he purifies us and preserves us. The last thing he said is that we have this future glory. Not only are you a son of God, not only did God predestine you and have a plan from the beginning, he's got a future glory for you that you can't even imagine. Off the chart. Off the chart. Can't even, can't even imagine. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no heart's ever imagined. It's never been conceived in the mind of anyone what God has in store for those who love him. You can't qualify. You can't write it in a book. You can't make a movie about it because no one can crack this thing. That's how amazing it is. So all the way from the beginning, before you were born, there's a plan. If Jesus is your Lord, you can't even imagine what it looks like at the end. This is what he's saying, and he says in conclusion. And he wants to say that even though the beginning is predestined, God had a master plan, and even though if Jesus is your Lord, you're a son of God, the Spirit's in you, and it's going to end in a way you can't even comprehend, as true as all it is, we still hit these trials and tribulations along the way. Amen? Any of you guys hit any of those, right? These trials and tribulations can kind of rock your world. I mean, you can go through some stuff where you're like, I appreciate the master plan. I appreciate how it's going to end. (laughs) But right now, I'm not really feeling it. Um, You could be going through a time where you're like, God, are are you for me? Because sometimes it might not feel like God is for you. Have have you felt that way where where you're actually going... I don't know right now. I know in general you are. I know the Bible says it, but I'm not really feeling like that. You're not alone. Uh, there's been people throughout the history of the Bible and, and in our lives who have had the same, the same struggle where God's got a master plan, but in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the, the trouble, in the middle of what's going on, we, we, we don't get it. We can't, we can't figure it out. And we're like, God, where are you right now? You know, King David was anointed to be king. God had a master plan. And God had a plan on how it was going to end for King David. But in the meantime, he was in a season where he was running for his life. The guy's living in caves. He's living in caves. And while he's living in caves, running for his life, what do you do? How do you react? How do you respond? If God is for you, but you're hiding for your life in a cave, there's a little disconnect with where are you, God? I would suggest that you can use these trials and come through them successfully or you and I can actually waste the trial. You know that? There's trials, guys, and there always will be trials. Life is a, is a trial and it's a test and it's a temporary assignment. And we can waste them or we can let God use them to transform us. Here's the deal. When you go through those trials, we're always saying, God, just change it. Lord, move this out of the way and change it. But sometimes he's changing us. Sometimes the only way God can change us is when the heat gets turned up. You realize that? 
the way gold is refined is the heat gets turned up. And you can't take what they call the dross. You can't take the, the bad stuff, the impurity. You can't take it out unless the heat gets turned up. And God loves you and me enough that sometimes he lets the heat get turned up. And only in the times of the heat being turned up can he actually remove the bad stuff. If we ask God to deliver us from situations and just take us out of stuff, we don't really realize that we'll never become the people that he's calling us to be because the trial is part of the test. It's part of the refining process. David understood that. You know what he learned to do when he was in a cave running for his life? Instead of going, God, I'm mad at you. Where are you? You know where he would end up? Oh, he thought that. (laughs) You can read his songs that he wrote. And he's like, God, where are you? Right? Legitimate. We all feel that way. But you know how he would end the song? He'd end the song praising God. He'd end the song realizing, God, you're not against me. You're actually for me. And you're allowing this to happen, but you're not against me. And I don't know about you, but there are times in life where you might think God is against you. And today's message is all about God is not against you, church. God is for you. God is so for you. He is for you more than you even know. Even though it doesn't always feel like it, God is for you. And this is the way Paul's going to wrap up this chapter in Romans 8 about God being for you. Now this is, if Jesus is your Lord, I got to qualify because he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers here. And uh, there are some that have never taken that step in intimacy with God. Again, knowing about him and recognizing him, But the Bible says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And the thing about God is when we step into that place where we say, you know what? It's time to surrender to you. It's time to hold up the white flag. It's really what it is. It's one thing about knowing about God. It's one thing respecting God, honoring God. That's cool. That's a good place to start. But when you hold up the white flag and say, you know what? I'm getting off the throne. You're the Lord. I'm not. That is where life begins. That in the Bible is who Paul's writing to. Those are the ones he's saying, look, if that's you, God is on your side. You're on your way on this journey. Jesus is your Lord. God the Father becomes daddy. Spirit of God is inside of you. And God is for you. This is the qualifier. And this is where he he goes with this. And think about this too. when, when, When things come against you, or maybe even people come against you, and you're trying to figure what is going on, remember, God is on your side. Let's look at this, uh, Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 31. By the way, this is in your bulletin if you have it, but we are graduating out of the bulletin. You know that? We're not going to be putting the scripture in the bulletin anymore because we want to encourage you to bring the word. How many of you know the word is alive and living? How many of you guys know that? What it says about itself, this is what it says about itself, little digression here, but an important one. It says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's alive. It's literally alive. I didn't believe that at first, but I started reading this when I hit about 25 because I wasn't raised believing this was alive. No one told me. No one ever read it when I was a kid in, in my family, in my upbringing, but I started reading it. And God started to reveal some things into this and started to show me just how alive it is. Now, it says it's alive. It says that it can cut between our thoughts, our motives, and our intentions. There are people that go to counselors and there are people that seek all kinds of ventures in life to try to separate between their intentions and their motives and the things of their heart. You realize that? Trying to decide, is that, is that my intention? Is that my motive? Is that my, you know, people are trying to figure this stuff out. The Bible says the word of God will do it for you. The word of God will separate. That's a motive. 
That's an intention. That's a desire of your heart. It, it does that. It's got a beautiful way of separating and giving clarity. So we believe it's alive, and we want to encourage you to be in the Word. Um, the only way you can really know the God of the Word is to know the Word of God. Because there are people who have an idea of who God is, and they're very convinced in their own mind of who God is, but it's not in God's word. So really, they're making up some of their own things about who God is, what he wants from people, what he expects. How does this love exchange actually take place? They just make it up. Other people go to the source book. God's like, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Check with the roadmap, and you will know me. And it's, it's really cool. So we, we stress the word of God around here because we believe in its in its authority, but um, let's jump in. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he? that condemns. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Let me break this down a little bit. We're going to look at this in sections. He's saying in response to all this stuff in Romans that he covered uh, in this previous part of Romans, in response to all of it, there's one thing that you've got to go home with. There's one thing you've got to hold on to. There's one thing that's a takeaway that you cannot forget. In response to all this stuff that he covered, God it's for you. God is not against you. And if Jesus is your Lord and you actually think God's against you sometimes, you've got to rethink that. That's not from God. God does not want you to ever think that he's against you. He's talking to believers here. God is for you. If you're on God's side, God is on your side. Amen? I love that snapshot of uh, the time when Joshua and the tribes were about to go into the promised land. You guys remember that scene? Uh, They've been wandering the desert 40 years. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. Finally, finally, they're about to bust through to the promised land. And there's this really cool scene where Joshua is walking along and runs into this angel. And he's big and he's yoked, okay? He's looking at him. He's like, he's scared to death. And Joshua's got like one question. Uh, Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir, but can I ask you a question? He says, are you for us or against us? Just got to know one thing, because I'm either going to run as fast as I can, or we're on, we're on the right team here. And he asked this angel of God, are you for us or against us? And you know what the angel said? Neither. In other words, that's not the question. The question isn't if I'm for you or against you. The question is, are you for God? If you're on God's side, well, then it's a no-brainer, of course. But if you're just saying, is, is God going to get on my side for this and maybe not for that? No, God's like, are you on my side? Because if you're on my side, I am so for you. And that's the concept here. That's, that's what Paul's laying down. If Jesus is your Lord, then God becomes Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit is inside of you. You've got to know unequivocally if that's who you are. If you've accepted the Lordship of Jesus, God is for you. Don't revisit that one again. Don't go back and rethink, is God for me or against me? Because a lot of people, it'll bother them. It'll, it'll continue to, to kind of bubble up as a question in your life, and it will really rock your faith. God is so for you. He's not against you. You've got to know that and have no doubt about that. And if you're a note-taker this morning, we're looking at a few key points about God being on your side. First one is this. God the Father 
is clearly on your side. It's telling us right here, you know, in the text, God is for you. Remember, God the Father is so on your side, he lets you call him Abba, Daddy. That's pretty intimate. That's a love relationship. Some people relate to the Heavenly Father based on their earthly father's experience, which is, which is unfortunate because earthly fathers, the pendulum swings to pretty good dads, to not so good or absent or missing dads or even abusive dads. You cannot compare your heavenly father to the earthly father. And if you have a wound in that area, I want to speak sincerely, if you have a wound in your, in your heart, in your life, in your past about your earthly father, you really got to go to God with this and say, Lord, restore this area of your heart because the heavenly father is a God of love. Heavenly father says you can call him Abba. The heavenly father is for you, not against you. And, and, and some people who, who don't really deal with that father wound will always have a hindered view of their heavenly father. And, and it really misses out on. So if that's you today, really just pray about, God, restore that area of my life because my earthly father has nothing to do with the reflection of the heavenly father. Um, that's important. It goes on to say that not only does God love us so much that he gave his son, but he also loves us that he's going to give us everything we need to be victorious. Now that's cool to know. He's for us. He'll give us what we need for victory. Now, victory doesn't always look the way me and you think it is, but God knows what victory is, and we want it. In the big picture, we want the victory that God has, and he's going to give us everything we need. And he goes on to ask this question. I think it's interesting. So, so who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And a lot of times we read that and we move on, but this week I was really looking at this over and over and over again. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he elaborates on what this means to be against us. He says, who is he that condemns? Who is she that condemns? Who will bring charges or accusations against God's people? Listen to this. God is for us. Who can be against us? The context he's saying is, who's condemning the people of God? Who's condemning you? Who is bringing charges or accusations against the people of God or you? Who's who's doing that? You see where he's going? Paul doesn't like this. He needs to mention, God is so for you. All this stuff is going on, but who's bringing charges? Where's that coming from? Where are the charges and accusations against the elect of God coming from? They're coming from the devil who is called the accuser. It says in Revelation that he goes, tries to get in the presence of God, accusing the brethren all the time. He tries to accuse us. Here's the deal. That's what he does. We're not going to stop that. There's going to be a day where Revelation says he's going to be Locked up, done, terminated in that sense. But in the meantime, he's the accuser. So he's sending accusations. But you know what happens? He makes accusations. And the Bible says to beware of the fiery darts from the enemy. Remember how he's shooting darts all the time? Sometimes you and I hear that same accusation. What do we do with that accusation? See, these accusations, these Uh, coming against the charges, who condemns, these can come from one of three places. They can come from Satan himself, who's, that's what he does for a living, accuses. Come from other people outside the faith, but without the spirit of God, you cannot discern the things of God. So people outside the faith, they don't understand that anyway. That's, That's to be expected. But it can also sometimes come from us. And that's where we gotta watch out, guys. Because he's saying, God's elect, God's chosen, God's people, God is for us. Who can be against us? And we gotta be careful because sometimes, sometimes we can hear an accusation from the devil 
and we can turn around and emulate it or repeat that. Do you realize that? We can repeat an accusation against God's people or against the church. This is the way the Bible views the church. The Bible views the church, the believers, the chosen, the elect. All of these words are in the Bible. The people of God, the children of God. The Bible refers to us as God's children as the bride. The bride. We are the bride of Christ. I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but God loves, Jesus loves his bride. I mean, Jesus loves his bride like nobody else loves their bride. I mean, Jesus loves his bride like over the top. He laid his life down, gave his life up. He's not done. He's interceding for us. I mean, Jesus loves his bride. The church, the believers, we are the bride. If Jesus is your Lord and you're in this room, we are the bride. Think about this for a moment in this context. If God is for us, who can be against us? So who is bringing charges, accusations against? Who's condemning the bride? Think about this. Because I, I think believers skip this and move on. And I, and, I, and I want, I was praying a lot about this passage. I think God wants us to give us a snapshot into his heart regarding the bride. Picture this for a moment. I think it might make more sense. You're at a wedding and the bride is in the back room getting ready. For, for Jesus, for the groom. And the bride steps out of the room for a minute and all the bridesmaids start. Wah, 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 wah. Can, can you imagine? That, I mean, for a minute. Wah, wah. It sounds crazy, but for a minute. But what they don't know is the groom walked in the room and is hearing all that. You guys tracking with me? Is that a visual? The bride's out of the room, but they're just talking nasty about the bride. They're devouring the bride. And the one who loves the bride is the groom. He's standing there. His heart is broken because he loves the bride. And he doesn't want anyone messing with his bride. And people sometimes think they can condemn and bring accusations and charges. And, and it's okay. And turn right around to the groom and say, oh, Jesus, can you give me this? Can you do this for me? Think about this for a moment, guys. I'd like to consider this the bride test. And how do you and I do with the bride? Because I want to tell you something, church. If we can't personally pass the bride test, we're really missing out on a big part of the kingdom of God in maturity and what God will answer, what he'll bless you with. But a lot of people, no, they just they condemn the bride, bring accusations, bring charges, and they're fine. They're fine with it. They keep going down the road. They, they don't even think it's an issue. And Jesus is like, it's my bride. I love my bride. Don't bring accusations and charges against the bride. He's saying, who is he? Show me. God is for you. Who can be against you? Who is he who condemns? Who brings charges against God's elect? Where's the accusations? And I don't think we look at it that way, but it's sobering to me. Is it sobering to you? It's sobering to me that God looks at it that way about his church. He loves his church. It doesn't mean people don't have things that need to be addressed. Absolutely, because everybody messes up. But if someone messes up against you, you go to them. And you tell them, hey, I love you, but can I just say something? Truth and love. Boom. And you tell them, that's good. That's healthy. But it's when people don't do that and start devouring the bride. I want you to hold on to the picture of preparing the bride before the wedding and a couple of bridesmaids ripping up the bride. You guys got that picture? Hold on to that visual, please, because that, I believe, is the bride test. And if things come up against the bride in the future, I just want you to remember, I got to pass the bride test here. Because it is a bride test, and Jesus loves his bride. Um, it goes on in verse 33. 
and it says, God's already justified you. You can't be, there's things in our lives that we might do wrong and we turn around and correct them. We're not perfect, we're all sinners that need a savior. But when it comes to somebody condemning you, people or whoever might do that or bringing charges, he already said in verse 33 of this chapter and we talked a lot about it, God already, he justified you. There's this term, we spent a lot of time on justification. Basically, through what Jesus did, you are justified just as if I'd never sinned. Even though we mess up, through what Jesus did, this is how cool the cross is, people miss that. It's so powerful that you and I are in the position of just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, that, that's really cool. And so G- Jesus already justified us. God is now the only judge. There is no other judge. And that's why he's saying, who brings charges? There is no other judge. I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. Only God's the judge. We've been justified. We don't have the authority to condemn or to bring accusations against others that way, the judge would say, I already heard the case, case closed. That's the way God would say it. There's this term in our legal system, it's such an important term that it has become enshrined in our, in our law. It's called double jeopardy. Have you guys heard the term double jeopardy? If someone's already been tried for a crime and they've been acquitted, you cannot, no matter what, bring them back on trial for that crime again. They're acquitted. You can't go, oh, we didn't get them you know, guilty for murder. We're going to bring them back and do it again. We're going to bring... No, if, if they've been acquitted, they've been acquitted. It's double jeopardy. You can't do it. It's a big deal. Can I say something in the kingdom of God? Double jeopardy applies. You've been acquitted if Jesus is your Lord. In the big picture, there's already a judgment. There's already a reality. The cross moves forward, the snapshot of what it looks like. There's already been a justification. There's already been an acquittal. There's not going to be a second one. There can't be. So your sentence has been removed, it's been cleared, you've been declared not guilty and innocent, and so you've got to know if that's the case, the Father is so on your side. That's the way it looks for me and you, not perfect people, sinners that need a Savior. We're no different from anybody else except for we had an encounter at the cross where Jesus said, I poured out blood to take away sins and to justify, and if you're willing to turn and follow me, bam, this applies to you. And if you're not, then you end up being a spectator of the kingdom, but not a citizen of the kingdom. Does that make sense? And when you're a citizen of the kingdom, there's all kinds of benefits that you get as a citizen of the kingdom. You you come under the protection of the king of the kingdom, and you have the benefits of kingdom citizens. But outside of that, you're not like sort of and not really a citizen. You're either not a citizen of God's kingdom or you're a citizen, and it's all through through Jesus. It's like that scene um, of, of a future date, a future trial, if you can imagine the scene where you and I stand before God the Father and it's a trial scene and the devil over there, he's the prosecution and he's the accuser and he's good at it. He's been doing it a long time and he's sitting there reading off you're in my rap sheet, okay? Picture it to yourself on the trial there and he's reading and he's going on, he's going on for three days. Like, oh my goodness, you're sitting there listening to this going, yeah, I remember that one, that was dumb, I don't know why I did that one. Yeah, oh, don't remind me. You know, he's just reading off this rap sheet for three days. And when he's finally done, Jesus, who's your advocate, who's your defense, who's your defender personally, he stands up and says, "Um, Father, may I approach the bench? Father says, of course, son. Of course you can. And Jesus walks up to the father and pulls out a sheet of paper and says, "Uh, Father, this is, this is their position right here. And the father looks at it and says, well, son, this, 
I can't read a single thing on this. It's, it's all red. And the son says, that's right, Father. I, I died for this one. There's, it's been washed away. There's nothing left to see here, Father. And the father goes, huh, well, then case dismissed. Quitted. It's over. It's just like that. It's covered by the blood of the lamb. That's the reality. And so you need to know, not only is the father on your side, you can call him Abba, Daddy, but Jesus is on your side. And that's our second point this morning. Jesus is on your side. He's on your side. He's your advocate. He is, at, in fact, the passage even said that he intercedes for you. I don't know if you've actually thought about what that would look like, but Jesus actually interceding for you. Picture that for a moment. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has the Father's ear. And he's saying, ah, Father, I hear what the accuser's saying, but listen, Father, this one, they love you, and they're aiming in the right direction, and we're going to bless them, Father. We're going to open some doors of opportunity and provision, and we're going to... Jesus is interceding for you guys. I don't know if you... You thought of that visual, but that's radical. The Father's on your side. Jesus, the Son, is on your side. And then verse 26, which we looked at a little while ago, it actually says that the Holy Spirit is also interceding for you. But check this out. Unlike Jesus, who's interceding at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit is interceding from the inside. That's a pretty radical dimension. If you think we spent more time talking about what that looks like, but don't forget, the Father is for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? He says you can call him Abba, Daddy. He is so for you. Just like a daddy would be for their son or their daughter. It's like, that's my boy right there. That's my girl. I am for them. The Father is for you. Jesus is for you. He's your advocate. He's interceding for you. This is radical. And the Spirit of God is interceding from the inside, not the outside. That's explosive. That's our third point, that God the Holy Spirit is on the inside and he's interceding. And that's radical. That's a dimension of life that, boy, I... I don't think it's enough airplay in the world. People are told about Jesus and they're told he died on a cross and some people go, yeah, I don't get it and they walk away. And other people, they go, wow, a lot of love was poured out here and they get it and, and stuff like that. And that's, that's explosive because the Bible says that's the way that you come into the grace of God is, is through the cross. That's where the gift went down and this is where the paradox of payment and redemption happened. But on the other side of that, is also God's spirit inside of people. And most of the world doesn't know about that. Do you realize that God himself is willing to put his spirit literally inside his creation? Huh? Yes, inside of you. God himself in you to lead, to guide, to comfort, to counsel. And there's people walking through this world without God's comfort, without his love, without his counsel, without his guidance, and they're trying to figure it all out and they're not getting anywhere. They don't have the spirit of God inside them. In this case here, God's for you with his spirit on the inside. That to me is explosive, very explosive. Uh, let me move on, verse 35. I want to hit this one real quick. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as cheap to be slaughtered. no. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying this, guys, we're going to go through stuff. It started with a predestined plan. It ends up, if you want to know, you flip to the back of the book 
And you, you'll see how it ends. It ends really good, by the way. If you haven't gone there, sneak ahead. It ends good. But in the meantime, there's these trials and these hardships and, these, and it's real stuff. And there's pain along the way. And it's for everyone. And God's people are not exempt. We're going to go through pressures and problems and hardships and suffering. But we can, we can suffer well or we can suffer poorly. We can pass tests or we can waste them. In that trial, God can refine you like old or people can just get hardened and shake their fist at God. It's the same trial. Two people go through it. But when he's going through this, I would suggest to you, if you're going through a trial right now, if you're going through a struggle, ask God, how can I go this through this trial that it's not wasted? How can I go through it so that there's some redemptive value on the other side of this? God, because I'm signing up for redemptive value. If I got to go through it, I better at least come out on the other side better off. Amen? But some people don't. Some people don't. They go through the same trial and they just get mad. Where are you, God? Shaking their fist, hardening their heart, and walking and stepping back in their faith, shrinking back in their faith. Two people, same type of people, same type of trial. You can waste your trial or it can be an effective, uh, valuable with redemption. I would say don't waste your trials, guys. There will be trials. Jesus said there will be. There'll always be trials and tribulations. Don't waste them. Uh, He goes on to say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall? And the bottom line is, nothing can. Nothing can from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God's love is so amazing. It's so intense. It's so overwhelming. There is nothing that can stop it. No person can and no being can. There is no circumstance that can stop God's love. You've got to know that. God's love can penetrate all. God's love is overwhelming. And that's, that's some radical stuff. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And although nothing can block his love, and it even says angels and demons and even powers, and I want to hit on this briefly, if nothing can block, nothing can block God's love. Not even angels or demons, right? Principality, that's what it says. That means the devil himself, standing in front of you, cannot block God's love getting to you. That's pretty cool, right? That, that's a reality. You've got to hold on to that. So even the devil can't block God's love. But he will try. He will try. He's always trying to mess people up in their relationship with God. But he realizes he can't block God's love. So if he can't block God's love, how is he going to mess up the relationship? He can't block God's love coming to you, but he can try to mess up your response to God's love. Here's the deal. God pours out his love to us. And the way we respond to God's love is we turn around in faith right? We turn around and respond to God in faith. Anything without faith, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. We respond to God's love in faith. And the devil's like, I can't block God's love. But if I can just mess with their faith a little bit, that will be fine. And so I just want to read this last passage because he tries to rock our faith because he can't block the love the enemy can't block the love, so he tries to rock the faith. Uh, Luke twenty two thirty one. I just want to bring this up briefly, and it says this. Jesus was at a point where God's love is not being blocked to Peter. But Peter's faith, his response to God's love, is about to get rocked in a big way. And Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I want to say this real briefly of what happens. We just said the devil powers principality, uh, nothing in the invisible realm or no person can block God's love. 
But our response to God's love is where the devil goes, now that's what I'm going to target. And it says right here that the devil asked. The devil asked to, to sift. He asked for permission. We see in the book of Job, the devil's got to have permission for certain trials. He can't do anything he wants. There's certain trials that God allows. And I think that if we didn't go through that trial, we would never graduate and grow. So there are trials that are, that are allowed. In this case, Satan is asked to sift you. He's not just talking about Peter. The word you in Greek is plural. Check this out. The devil's saying, I want to I shake up the believers. I want to shake them up. And this is what sifting is. You would put something in a, in a big shaker, and as you shake it and beat it back and forth, you would separate the wheat from the chaff. One would stay, the other would fall away. And the only way you could do that is just shaking it back and forth and beating it back and forth. Jesus is saying, that's what the enemy wants to try to do to you. He wants to shake your faith up. Just shake it, shake it, shake it. Things are beating around, beating around. So there's a separation. He's trying to take the faith out of the faithful. See that? He cannot block the love of God. It can't be blocked. But if he can somehow rock your faith a little bit and separate the faith from the faithful, if he can somehow hinder faith or block, he is happy about that. And this is what he's trying to do, sift like wheat. And Jesus goes, but I prayed for you. So listen, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail because the devil's trying to shake you up and take your faith away. But I prayed for your faith to not fail because the devil tries to rock faith. And here's the cool thing about this. 30 years later, Peter understood this loud and clear. And he writes in 1 Peter 5, he says, listen, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. Resist him firm in the, in the faith. Because the faith, guys, that's all the traction you got. Your faith is your traction. You lose your faith, you lose your traction. And, and God's love is not going to get blocked. God loves you. His love is immeasurable for you. No eye has seen or ear has heard what he has in store for those who love him. His love is immeasurable. But your faith is your traction. And that's how you respond. The devil is going to come and he will try, like, like Peter says, and he will try to go around looking for some that aren't standing very well. And he'll try to kick legs out. And you probably know some people who were doing pretty good in life and in faith, but somehow they got their legs kicked out from it. Anybody know people like that? Their legs got kicked out from under them. And you're like, what happened? Well, he's just trying to knock out the faith from underneath him. He can't block God's love. But if he can hinder faith, he tried to do it with Peter, he'll try to do it with us. A couple conclusions are this, and we're gonna close in prayer. The word of God says this, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The devil is real, but the spirit of God inside the life of a believer is way bigger and more powerful than anything the devil himself can do. That if you ran into the devil in a dark alley, personally, one-on-one, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's not that you can take on the devil, but the spirit of God in you can. You see the difference? There's a difference between victory and defeat. There's a difference between overcoming and shrinking back. There's a difference between standing firm in the faith and losing faith. You got to hold on to this stuff. God is on your side. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are more than conquerors, and the Greek means actually super conquerors. You got superhero kids, they would love that. You know the Bible's calling you a super conqueror? I mean, a straight up super conqueror in Christ Jesus. 
That's what the Lord has called us. So I'm going to close in prayer this morning. I want to pray that in these areas of struggles that God will give you victory in whatever struggles you're, you're dealing with or, or, or fighting with right now, that you will come out as more than a conqueror. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.